podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church, advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. In the city of our God, in the mountains of God's holiness, beautiful the situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great King. Is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king? So the scripture reading today is from Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 31. Jacob wrestles at Peniel. Anybody know how to say that? Uh, the same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his 11 children and crossed the fork of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. 
Jacob was left alone, and someone wrestled with him until daybreak. When that person saw that they did not prevail against Jacob, they struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as Jacob wrestled with the person. Then Jacob said, let me go, for the day is breaking. Oh, I got it mixed up, sorry. I'm, uh, I'm gender neutralizing, it's very difficult. <laughs> I'm going to prevail. Um, then that person said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the person said to Jacob, what is your name? And Jacob said, Jacob. Then the person said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have stri striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked that person, please tell me your name. But the person said, why is it that you ask my name? And there that person blessed Jacob. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. God bless the reading of this word. How many times must I tell you goodbye? How many times must I sit alone and cry? How many times must I ask mercy on me? How many times must I beg to be free? Well, I'm looking for answers, looking for answers that nobody knows. Well, I'm looking for answers, looking for answers that nobody knows. Well, I'm looking for answers from above and not below. must I learn to live? How many times must I learn to love to give? How many times must I get on my knees to pray? How many times must I pray for you to stay? Well, I'm looking for answers, looking for answers that nobody knows. Well, I'm Looking for answers nobody knows Well, I'm looking for answers from above and not alone Good morning, church. It's good to be together. It is still such a gift to be able to return to some level of presence with one another even if we must mask, while yet maintaining the ability to stay connected uh, from home as we uh, travel or maintain yet some space in this in-between time. My name is David. I am grateful to be here uh, as the resident Lutheran on this 
uh, resident Lutheran here at Epworth on this uh, day of the Reformation. Not a service that normally gets celebrated as part of it, but yes, it is also Halloween. Uh, and the two are connected, if you wouldn't know it. But I'm grateful to Pastor Kristen for the invitation to be with you all together and, and to share some reflections on this Reformation Halloween Sunday. I'm also grateful uh, just for the opportunity to remark together on the time we are living through, a time of pandemic, of protest, and of polarization. It is appropriate that we think about this in-between time. See, Reformation and Halloween are connected because Martin Luther, if you don't know the story, this is your Lutheran moment for the day. About 500 years ago in 1517, nailed a set of 95 theses to the door of the castle at Wittenberg on, all the, on the eve of All Saints' Day. He did that both because he knew church would be packed the next day and lots of people would see it, but also because of the sense that this was this thin moment. Halloween marks this time, this thin moment of space between the world to come and our time, of those who have been departed and those who live now. A recognition that at those thin moments we can think anew about the ways we live in the world, to think with intentionality about the legacies and those who have come before us and about how we might live more fully into the world, into the future. And he did that in a way, not with 95 reasons why he was never showing up at church again, but rather with the intent that the church should be rethought, reformed anew, that the reformed church, the saying would become, should always be reforming. I'm grateful for the partnership of Epworth with PSR through many of our alumni who are in this congregation, to students who have been shaped by the ministry of our congregation here, and through the work of many others. I'm grateful in particular for Debbie Alvarez Rodriguez, who serves as our co-chair of the board, and for Maria Gallo, who is one of our most recent elected uh, board members at PSR. So grateful for these ways in which we share together in shaping leaders for the church and for the world. It is an exciting time at PSR, as we ourselves seek to think about how to live in this thin moment of change, and to rethink who we are through the people, the program, and the place of PSR. I look forward to opportunities we may have to talk about the ways that theological education is being recreated in our work. If you would, please join me in a word of prayer as we reflect together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our Lord and our Redeemer. Writing about this moment in our lives, marked by protest, Marked by pandemic and by polarization, author Sonia Renee Taylor writes, we will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. 
We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. What we have been forced to leave behind, we need it to leave behind. What is getting us through is what will need to take us forward. All the rest is up to us. Dream while you have so much time. Dream of the life you want. Dream of the world you desire to exist in. Look for the places in your dreams that have parts of the old world and remove them. What is the dream then? From there we can add to the collective weaving of whatever it is that is next. If we are to heal, let it be glorious. Well, y'all, I am now officially middle-aged. <laughs> Last week, we went to visit our son, Dawid, who many of you know, having been shaped here in our youth group at Howard University, where he is a first-year student in D.C. And just this weekend on Friday, Meheret, our youngest, sitting in the back, submitted her college applications. I don't know how this happened. <laughs> Just yesterday, there were tiny literal ones. If my two teenage children fail to remind me that I am middle-aged, my body takes care of that. I wake up at three in the morning with the weight of the world on my shoulders. I remember as a child being completely puzzled that my parents would complain about not being able to sleep. I'm like, What's there to do? You put your head on the pillow, you go to sleep. <laughs> In the opening lines of his poem, The Peace of Wild Things, poet and activist Wendell Berry shows that he knows about being middle-aged. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear that of what my life and my children's life Maybe I go to lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light for a time. I, raise, I rest in the grace of the world, and I am free. Jacob, in the story we heard read from Genesis chapter 32, is middle-aged. He is grappling with the consequences of the decisions he made as a young man to cheat his brother out of his inheritance and blessing to leave and depart in haste from his own family and to live his life in toil in a foreign land. Things have gotten significantly more complicated than when he first left. The scene we encounter him is the same place where he had had this dream as he left home unsettled and dreamed of a ladder between heaven and earth, a thin space. He is now back to that same thin space at this marker of the Jacob, this river that like many other places in history marks liminal spaces 
el Rio Grande, the Jordan River, all these rivers that mark the Mississippi, the differences, the distances, the liminal spaces. In a scene reminiscent of many that have become prevalent in our news, out of, as people make their way out of the paths of fire, of storms, of economic displacement, of conflict zones. In today's text, Jacob sends his family across this river in waves to try to find his way back home, to confront the demons of his past, because he's now about to face his brother. So he has returned, he is returning home for the first time after having left, and he knows that he will encounter his brother. He gets news that his brother is coming towards him with 400, and this is not gender inclusive, men coming his way. And so he sleeps hardly a tough night across the river. Middle age, in the middle of the night, he is finding himself in that limited, liminal space. We have been in a liminal space. Pandemic, protest, and polarization have marked this period of time as that which was our pre-corona existence and where we live today. A time, as Sonia Renee Taylor states, we will not go back to normal, normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal. We should not long to return, my friends. Along with the physical task of migrating back home, because one who migrates away from home always longs for that return. Jacob is also engaged in a theological task that every generation before him must wrestle with. For those at college or heading out, a note that this is the first ever recorded all-nighter. <laughs> Jacob must wrestle all night with the consequences of his actions as a young man, but must also wrestle with what the future will hold as he tries to reconcile, to rebuild, to become more fully who he is between who he has been and who he is becoming. The generations before him wrestle similarly with these questions, beginning with the wrestling that started with Cain and Abel, a conflict between siblings that led to death that require revisiting in every generation until the one that Jacob is encountering. See, in that first sibling pair, there was a fight and an overcoming, a disagreement over who is to be blessed and who has the right to the things that are inherited. And that first encounter led to the death of one over the other. So the rest of the book of Genesis is about wrestling with that between siblings, between those close to one another. Ishmael must wrestle with Isaac to see who would be heard by God and whether there is enough of a blessing to be extended to both the child of the maid and the one of the spouse. A wrestling that must happen between Jacob and Isa as he's 
are born as they are born, and Jacob is holding on to G, uh, to Esau's he, uh, heel, leg pulling him. Jacob's own sons must do that wrestling as well, as they have sold their youngest brother into slavery and then lost track of him, returned to face him, Joseph, in Egypt, the place where immigrants have gone because they know that's where the stuff is. They've been sending it there for generations. And so they come back there to Egypt, to the nation that has the power, the assets, and the wealth it's been taking from all around it. Across a river, they come to him and encounter him. And the first thing they must ask of him, or rather than he asks of them after they encounter each other, he has changed and adapted so much they don't even recognize Joseph. If you remember the story, when he finally reveals himself to his brothers in this wrestling in middle age with our past and with our future, the wrestling of every immigrant comes to his lips. To Joseph's, is my father still alive? See, having fully succeeded as an immigrant in Egypt, so much adapted and assimilated that his own siblings don't recognize him, having married an Egyptian woman and had children who are named with Egyptian names, he is still not fully himself unless he reconciles himself with his past. In the middle of the night, middle-aged Jacob must wrestle with what has been and what will be. This is the task of the immigrant. This is the task of the church in every generation. It was the task engaged by a theology student in Wittenberg just over 500 years ago and in London by two Wesley brothers about 300 years ago. It is the task that it is not about returning to some imagined past greatness to make the church great again, but to faithfully imagine a thriving future for the church, for the world, a new garment that fits all of humanity and nature. Our legacy of traditions, of buildness, of buildings, of witness, must be reimagined for this time and for such a time as this. You don't have to be middle-aged these days to wake up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, wondering about pandemic, fires, flooding, polarization, homelessness, refugee crisis, persistent racial inequalities. It is everything to be understandable that it is hard to sleep these days. Our generation must wrestle with tectonic shifts in everything around us. Technology, globalization, environment, ethnic and cultural diversity, deep divides that threaten our very existence. In a way, we all, as a church, and as a nation, our middle age. The United States has, over the last couple of years, recognized in the middle of this night the realities of inequalities at the very inception of this nation. 
the ways we dealt unfairly with our siblings at the forming of these nations by creating our wealth on the back of others. Enslaved Africans, displaced Native Americans, properties and lands taken from the Native communities, from the former nations of Mexico in our very areas where we live. Over the last couple of years, this moment of pandemic protest and polarization has made us wrestle with the deep inner demons that have shaped our communities, that have built our wealth to recognize the complexity of the world we live in. This thin moment has challenged us to think anew. And at times we wonder if we are able to pull it off. In the middle of the night, we must wrestle through it. Like Jacob and many before us, we must wrestle with it, knowing that God will wrestle with us as well. This is no easy task, yet it's one we must engage. In the words of the Pirkei Avot, the saying of the elders in the Jewish tradition, it is not given to you to complete the task, but you cannot desist from pursuing it. We must wrestle for a blessing, as Jacob did in the night. We are being given the opportunity, says Taylor, to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. The very word for the people who would become the inheritors of promise the beginning of the covenant with God is Israel, one who wrestles. It is in the very nature of our communities to be the ones who wrestle, not just settle for easy pad answers. So what is the role of the church as we wrestle with the legacies of our reality as a nation, with the impact we have on the environment and on one another, what is our role at this stage of our lives as a faith community, as a church, and as a nation? To think about the ways we might shape the world anew. For us at PSR, this wrestling has taken a very particular definition. The conviction that our wrestling must be done with a preferential option for an emerging generation of people of color. Taking the language of preferential option from the Latin American church, we're not talking about preferential option like which toothpaste you pick, right? The option of this toothpaste or that one, that we select one over the other. But rather in the origins of the phrase, the preferential option, which comes out of the Latin American church's context in the conflicts of the 1960s and 70s. As the church found itself in its own liminal space in Latin America, in the middle of a global conflict that was pitting the wealthy against the poor, the church recognized the importance of managing its way through that time by exercising and following Jesus' example in exercising a preferential option for the poor. What that meant was not necessarily about who was going to be saved or not, but rather that the whole church needed to reimagine itself by walking closer to the poor. That everything it did, 
how it worshiped, what language it did it in, what its buildings looked like, where its commitments would be, should be looked at through the lens of the poor. At PSR, it is our conviction that for us and for the church, this moment, this liminal space, must be thought through a preferential option for an emerging generation of people of color. That we must rethink everything we do, how we worship, how we teach, what we study, how it's accessible, where we do it, by walking closer to this emerging generation. Recent statistics in this, uh, <clears throat> have demonstrated the sh demographic shift that the United States is experiencing. Recently, we crossed the line of knowing that over 50% of those who are 18 and under in this country are children of color. Y'all, California has been there a good while already. In fact, 75% of children 18 and under in California are children of color. 75% of children today in California, 18 and under, are children of color. The church must wrestle with this moment and create a new garment by walking closer to that generation. Because where they thrive, we will thrive. Now it is worth noting that the story we heard from Genesis is no Western. Jacob does not walk victoriously or victorious into the sunset in that story. Instead, he limps into dawn with the promise of a new day. Even though he is wrestling, he is not doing so alone. God stays up with him for the all-nighted. What we have been forced to leave behind, we needed to leave behind, Taylor says. What is getting us through is what will need to take us forward. All the rest is up to us, and in our case, with God. Dream while you have so much time. Dream of the life you want. Dream of the world you desire to exist in. Amen.
been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. Thank you.